This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick with this week's By the Numbers with co-host Dan Reese. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, not the result we we hope for, but uh, still a, a, a hard fought game uh, by the Ravens. So so that was uh, good to see, but uh, disappointing finish, I would I guess. So. Yeah, good playoff football. Obviously, the the Ravens have had some ups and downs in terms of truly high leverage plays in NFL history. We'll go. I'm sure we'll get into that <laughs> in, in this episode because that's what we do. Uh, but thinking back to the to the block field goal in return in in 2000 was a kind of a similar 
uh, high leverage play. And this was this was off the charts in, in, in terms of what happened in this game. But uh, yep. uh, Dan, always a pleasure to do this with you. Want to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. I think I'll start off this week, Dan, and, say, and start with the numbers of 3.15, 2.38, 58.6%, and 71.9%. 3.15 was the average time to throw for Tyler Huntley, who held the ball for longer this week um, and was one of the uh, he was fourth longest of 12 wildcard quarterbacks. Whereas on the other side of the coin, 2.38, the average time for Joe Burrow, was the quickest getting the ball out in the entire NFL. Now, obviously, we've been over this before, but there are pluses and minuses. It's not just a, a good stat always to get rid of the ball late, but generally speaking, Lamar Jackson is better when he throws the ball late. Tom Brady and Joe Burrow are probably better when they throw the ball early and they and they hit their targets and they allow for some yak on the plays. Uh, Huntley, a 58.6% completion percentage. That was ninth best in the NFL of 12 quarterbacks. 66.6%, so he, he was eight points worse. Uh, 66.6% was his expected, and he, he fell short of that by uh, by eight points. Burrow, a 71.9% completion rate, and he fell short of his expected of 75.5%. So uh, a lot of quicker throws for Burrow. Burrow certainly made more out of his throwing opportunities uh, in, in some ways in terms of completion percentage, but not in terms of yards per play, where the Ravens had 67 and the Bengals had only 5.1 yards per play. Definitely a game where when the Bengals were moving the ball, they moved it methodically down the field with the passing game, did not really try and hand the game over to their running backs, which for the second consecutive week didn't really work against the Ravens. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting approach, and I think the Ravens did a pretty good job on defense, shutting it down or, or at least, at least limiting it. Um, you know, I think if you, uh, you know, saw or were told that the Bengals would throw for 5.1 yards per game, I think you, you would take that, mm-hmm. uh, going into it. Um, and you know, the, the time to throw with it being the fastest, I, I still thought the Ravens did a pretty good job of getting pressure occasionally. So, uh, so that was nice because oftentimes with that fast of a release, you don't get any pressure all game. So, right. Yeah. Very, very much true. They got more, they got more pressures than they gave up ample time and spaces. Uh, I think it was 13 to seven in this game as I scored it. So very, very nice to see that uh, in a game like this. All right. My first set of numbers is 89% and one Uh, 89% was the, the percentage of uh, Cincinnati snaps that were from 11 personnel. Uh, so as we had kind of expected, seeing um, what they had done previously against the Ravens and also against, you know, uh, throughout the season, uh, they were uh, heavy 11 personnel. 51 out of 57 snaps is what I had. And on Baltimore's defense, only one of those snaps did they have six DBs on the on the field. So they were almost entirely uh, in, in some uh, variation of nickel defense uh, to to shut down um, the 11 personnel. Uh, the ability to shut down Cincinnati's three strong wide receiver weapons with uh, with just nickel, I thought was really impressive. Um, it allows them to, you know, really hold strong against the run as well and, and just kind of be a, a balanced defense. Uh, just kind of for perspective, a little bit over 15% of 11 personnel snaps uh 
were, were covered by six plus DBs uh, for for the whole NFL season. So, hmm. you know, one out of 51 versus 15%. So, um, you know, so it, it was good to see that they were able to use their nickel package and, uh, and really limit a really dynamic uh, passing offense. I thought. Yeah. It definitely speaks to the kind of game that Kyle Hamilton had, because he was outstanding playing slot corner. Every one of those snaps, uh, every one of those nickel snaps anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, where that I think did leave the Ravens a little short was on third down and in particularly in some third and longer situations uh, where they did convert some. They were seven out of 13 on third down, which is a place where the Ravens had been very effective before. Um, it, it left them not in the greatest position to uh, defend that because after you get out of a fairly short area, then, then Hamilton is is challenged. Um, and of course they have, they depend more on their linebackers to cover under the circumstances, which is either Roquan or queen is not going to be as good as a dime back in terms of coverage, as good as Roquan has been, uh, so far this year. So yeah, it's, I, I'm surprised to hear that 15% is the NFL number because what that tells me is about almost half the teams are committed nickel teams. Cause normally in a year, I'd see about 28 to 30% dime snaps from the Ravens might be normal. Um, and those include most end of half plays, uh, and really all third down and medium or longer where the opponent goes to 11 or lighter. Uh, so that, that I think is a little surprising. And last point I want to make on this, cause this just is obviously you got the most interesting number of the whole day here. Um, the Bengals didn't really go to 10 person on this game. Did they didn't even have a single snap of 10? I don't believe so. Uh, there were only six snaps other than 11. So, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think there was if if so it was like one or two so right and so that would have been a way we would have feared might have really challenged the Ravens because their next cornerback was pretty bad uh, you know that they had to bring in it might have been Ardarius Washington or or uh, uh, I guess it was Warley who saw yeah. time yeah yeah yep. all right you're up all right well, let's go to fifteen. Is my next number just a simple one number we don't do that too often Conse- <laughs> that's the number of consecutive games. The Ravens have gone without even a 50% red zone percentage, including the wild card game. Now, there's a lot of times where, you know, first of all, the league average is 50, 54.8%. That's actually the median, not the average. I want to be careful about that, but 54.8%. So if you can't even reach 50%, and these are small, discrete numbers, we're talking about, you know, Two occurrences, four occurrences is a common number of red zone trips per game. And they, they don't even have one instance of going one for two or two for four during that entire time. That's uh, pretty freaking amazing, frankly. Um, they don't have a single 50% time. Uh, they were five for five in week three against New England. That's the last time they they topped it. 20 of 53 cents, um, 37.7%. Worse than the league was New England at 42.2% for the season. Uh, so it's an area where the team, I think, drastically needs to improve uh next year yeah that's those are unbelievable (laughs) stats and in the worst way um you know i think some of it can be you know attributed to lamar missing some games but that streak uh goes way way before that so okay i have to correct myself on something yeah they, they were not over 50% that whole time. I said, I looked at it myself and I'm seeing 20 of 53. That can't be, but, but it's, it, they were at 50% exactly several times, but they didn't have had a game where they were, where there were one or one or two of three or anything like that mm-hmm. during the entire time. Just a, a truly awful run. Yeah. That's, it's just, uh, well, I, I think that was 
my guess is that was a, a significant part of the, you know, Roman decision that we saw today. So uh, I think it definitely will be an area of focus for the new uh, OC that comes in, uh, figuring out a way um, to, there's no reason that it should be that bad. They have the weapons, both in the run game and the big bodied receivers with the tight ends that they should be able to, um, you know, take advantage of, of that area. Yeah, and they have the the ultimate weapon is Lamar Jackson, his ability to move laterally and find an open receiver. And that was, you know, big strength of Lamar early in his careers. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them here on my my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So go on out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. His career was not throwing red zone interceptions. So anyway. Absolutely. All right. Um, my next uh, numbers were uh, 314, 12, and, and 9, uh, and 19. So 314 was the, the time left when the Ravens got the ball on the Cincinnati 46 uh, for the last drive. They After they got the ball, they had 12 snaps, including two penalties they were able to gain only 19 yards. Um, They had seven snaps in the first 160 seconds and then five snaps in the last 34 seconds. Um, Based on the model I was looking at, they had a 45% chance of scoring a touchdown um, when they had the ball on the 17-yard line, first first and 10 on the 17-yard line with 34 seconds to go with two timeouts. So, you know, all things considered, getting the ball on the 46 with 314 left is a pretty darn good spot. Like, I was amazed that they got one final chance there, and I wasn't without, you know, without a decent level of confidence that they could knock it in. And they moved the ball and got the ball to the 17 with with 34 seconds, and I just, it was just too bad that they that they weren't able to to finish the drive, but. Um, kind of puts the whole season this red zone struggles into into uh sums it all up right there uh it just was such a weird drive with you know how they managed it and how 
uh, they, they really finished off there with the, the final push. So yeah, it was it was especially bad to me at like one one point, and that was between a minute and I think thirty four seconds. They mm-hmm. burned off a lot of time by huddling uh, right in there, and I was really liking the time management to that point. I thought you know they better score and not leave very much time on the clock, get this game to overtime, and not give Burrow say forty five seconds to turn it around and score. In fact, there might even be a point and probably not, but there might even be a point where they get so close to scoring that Cincinnati really wants them to score in the next play kind of thing, because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a higher probability, but then they got it down to 34 seconds. It was already too low. And then they got the penalty on Zeitler for holding, which backed them up into that second and 20 situation instead of a four yard gain. And, uh, and that really hurt. Then, then they were out of, out of sorts in terms of being behind the down and distance st- sticks. They uh, they had both timeouts, but they from that point forward, I think the last four passes he threw were incomplete. So that series, they they right. uh, they got themselves off the field that way. Yeah, I think you know if it weren't for the hold, I think thirty four seconds could have been enough time. They had they were able to complete five plays from the seventeen yard line. So you would. You would think that that would be enough. Uh, it was just that the, the re- result of one of them was a, a ten-yard loss, and the other four were all zero yards. So, um, you know, I think they could have left more time before the thirty-four seconds, but I didn't mind it terribly, um, considering they were still able to get five plays, and they could have done anything. They had their timeouts, so those five plays could have been any type they wanted, basically. So. Mm-hmm. Boy, it would have been great if Prochet could have hauled that ball in. It would have changed everything about his season, about you know the trip there, the cold, the Mm -hmm. the memory of the fumble and return. I mean, all of that would have would have kind of been washed away by potentially Mm -hmm. needed overtime score as well by by a uh, a play like that. Yep, game of inches for sure, as they say. All right, four, three, and two. So Lamar Jackson has led the Ravens in rushing for four consecutive years now. It happened again in 2022. So 19 through 22, he's been the leader each year. He is now third all time on the Ravens rushing list with 4,437 yards. Lewis has 7,801. Rice, 6,180. So those are the only guys ahead of him. It's still amazing to me. And he's second now in fumbles all time for the Ravens with 42. Uh, you could probably know because you see my sheet here, but Flacco has 80 fumbles. Which Lamar might not get to, even if he plays, uh, you know, the next contract uh, here. He might have to play longer than that. But the number three guy I found to be kind of interesting, Kyle Bowler, with thirty-six fumbles. And if you, I know there's some younger fans we have who really didn't get to see too much of Kyle Bowler playing, or if they did, it's when he was very young. But one of the things Bowler had a lot of trouble with is getting away from center cleanly. The uh, the the left guard or the center would step on his foot a lot. Mike Flynn, I always make fun of the the, the Ravens' footwork at center from that era because it was terrible relative to what it is today. It's much better coached. Um, would step on Bowler's foot a lot. But the other thing Bowler would do is just be moving around the pocket and lose the ball off his knee with some regularity. And just it, it's mind-boggling to watch the guy play football. It's like how how did this guy ever? get the quarterback position when he's constantly acting like a spaz with the football here anyway. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> that's too funny with Buller, but, um, but you know, Lamar leading for, for a fourth consecutive season, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, basically four, so four out of four for all his full seasons. Um, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. Some of it is, I guess, a little bit splitting with the running back, you know, the running backs kind of um, by committee. 
but uh, but that that's pretty amazing, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do on the on the all time rushing list uh, if he's able to get a second contract. So um, that that's that, that's definitely pretty amazing, and it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues uh, with the second contract or not, or if he kind of continues to push a little bit further and further away from uh, the designed runs. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my third set of numbers is um, is 4.39, 4.02, and 4.93. Uh, these were the yards per snap by Cincinnati in the three matchups versus Baltimore. Uh, 4.39 was in this last game in the Wilds card game, 4.02 in week 18, and 4.93 in week five. Um, having sub five yards per snap is is very good, especially against an offense like Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati had only seven total games this season where they were held under five yards per play, uh, and, and the Ravens accounted for three of those. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, across the league, the average yards per play is 5.47. So that shows you know how impressive it is to to hold them below five. Um, and and um, and, and in all three games. Uh, Baltimore held Cincinnati uh, under five yards per per drop back snap, um, and only they only had six of those games. So half of them um, under five yards were uh, were against Baltimore, and you know it's just amazing to see what Baltimore was able to do this year against a powerhouse offense with Cincinnati and how they were able to shut them down. And it's really just uh, it's really encouraging for for next year and, and the years to come. Um, because you know Burrow and, and those weapons aren't going anywhere, so uh, being able to limit them um, and, uh, and and to see what the Ravens' defense was able to do was was really encouraging. I thought. Yeah, two things about that. The I I, I think that Cincinnati one of their offseason priorities is going to be to rebuild the offensive line in a big way. They already did it this last year, and it didn't really work out. But they, I think they'll try again. Uh, to to spend some more money on the offensive line. The second thing is those three numbers: four thirty nine, four hundred two, and four ninety three. The, the two thousand Ravens held all opponents to four point three yards per play, which is credit to two thousand Ravens certainly, but but gives you a, a context for how good these numbers were against the the Bengals this year. So, really remarkable year for the Ravens uh, in these three games against Cincinnati. All right, let's move on to the next one, which is. Let's do 14.3%. The Ravens had the sixth highest DeVoa in the wild card round, which was 14.3%. And that broke down as minus 7.5% on offense. That was ninth out of 12. So minus is bad on offense. But it's good on defense where they were minus 13.5%, which is fifth in the league. So, again, relating that to the uh, low Cincinnati numbers, they really did play pretty well as, as DeVoa uh, would indicate in terms of the winning on a play-by-play basis. And this is something I wouldn't have guessed, but they were 8.3% on special teams. I'm trying to think of what special teams plays did they really win? Uh, do they have a big long return at anything? I don't think so. And and punts? Uh, uh, field I can't goals? really think of much. Uh, mm. I feel like one return was to like maybe the 30. I can't think of it beyond that. Uh, field goals, I can't really think of whether they were long. Um, they didn't get penalized on special teams. I don't think it was, it was, in, it was surprising <laughs> to me that it was so good, but anyway, it was the second best of the group. 
So the, the point being that their overall DeVoe of 14.3% is outstanding. In fact, they were the only team to lose despite a positive DeVoe in the wild card round. Uh, so Jacksonville won at like minus 14% or something, for, for example. Uh, Cincinnati had a DeVoe of 20.8%. So you can see this isn't a zero-sum game, but it, it still, this is a game where I think it is fair to say both teams play pretty well. The Ravens certainly played well enough defensively and and Cincinnati certainly had enough big plays unfortunately to get it done as well. Yeah, you could definitely see you know either either team could have ended up as a winner in the game and you can see that with the Devo. I wonder with the special teams if the the lack of a negative play is is enough mm-hmm. on special teams to kind of uh, come out a winner. Um I, I wonder um you see like Dallas with the what was it for missed extra points or something like that. So, um, you know, but that's, uh, you know, that's really interesting to see, you know, I thought they did do a, a pretty solid job overall um, in the game and, um, you know, struggled some on offense, but that's to be expected given where, where they, um, you know, where they stood personnel wise. So, all right. Um, my next number uh, is 0.114. Uh, so that was the EPA on offensive snaps, excluding the fumble. So, uh, which just completely skews all EPA numbers. So, uh, 0.114 was the highest EPA in any of the games without Lamar by a wide margin. Uh, but other than that, it was Week 14 with 0.05, so half as uh, half as much. Uh, and it was the fifth highest EPA overall this season for Baltimore. So, uh, so pretty impressive. Um, they, they had a 0.07 EPA on pass plays and a 0.14 EPA on run plays. So a, a pretty solid performance, both in run and pass on the offense. And again, especially considering where they were personnel wise and against a pretty decent defense in Cincinnati. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take the compliment to what you just said. It's also kind of the compliment in terms of how we talk about EPA and, and WPA models, you know, expected points models are good in the NFL. And they're usually the gold standard because they're more easily measured, I think, and more uh, uniformly measured. Um, but win probability models are uh, what most decisions have to be based on, particularly late in a football game. And uh, if teams make a lot of negative EPA decisions, typically uh, that are positive win probability decisions, particularly in the fourth quarter. So I'm, I'm a, always a big proponent of win probability. Anyway, per, per ESPN, the Ravens had a 69% chance to win prior to Huntley's fumble. When Huntley fumbled the ball and it got returned, their win probability dropped to 14%. So a 55% downtick, 55 percentage point downticks. Actually, they had, what, a fifth the chance to win the game after the play as they did before it, you know, and if you want to talk that. Um, uh, it, had this occurred in the Super Bowl, it would have been the fourth largest ever swing in in winning percentage behind Malcolm Butler's interception in Super Bowl 49. People remember that, right at the goal line, end of the game, Marshawn Lund should have been running the ball. You know, you remember the play. Yep. Number two, Scott Norwood missing wide right from 47 yards to Super Bowl 25. Be from your youth, right? I'm guessing. <laughs> so, or I can't say I remember that one. Damn it. I, <laughs> 
I, I, I don't know I, what year it is, but it's before I remember at least. Yeah, it would have been about 91, I think. Uh, it was against the Giants. Anyway, yeah. 92, the game was played, I think. And then Eli Manning to Plaxico Burris, which is a touchdown I also honestly remember all that well. Uh, the, that was the Super Bowl winning touchdown in Super Bowl 42. So uh, anyway, uh, nothing like it really. And if you look at the first 24 Super Bowls, the games were not generally close. And particularly the, the, all the Super Bowls through the end of the 1970s, the biggest ever win probability play was Rick Volk's interception in Super Bowl V. Uh, old Colts fans will remember it. If you're a new fan and you're like, Dan, and you say, oh, <laughs> talk about how young you are, then you're you're uh, you're out of this conversation. Anyway, it's a uh, uh, really incredible play. It's one of these ones that will that the Ravens will carry like a millstone around themselves. It's not good. They're not going to get rid of it until they you know have the season that turns it around. Obviously, the 2017 season. Um, stuck with the Ravens until Mosley's interception, at least in 2018, uh, sent him to the playoffs and a, and a division title. Yeah, it's just uh, it was just an amazing play in the worst possible way. <laughs> Very reminiscent of the the interception uh, in um, what was it two years ago um, against against Buffalo. Um, but man, everything had to go wrong, right? The the fumble um, dropped right into his hands, mm-hmm. like. A fumble would have been bad, you know, on, on the goal line, but right into his hands for, um, for for a return. Was there? A, I don't know when it was, but I feel like was there a Cleveland game where where Lamar reached over and got it punched out? But but I think they blew a whistle on the return. Uh, and, yes, and kind of called the play yeah. dead. Um, if I if I remember that correctly, so it's it's weird that we have two of those reach over the goal line plays for fumbles. So, uh, but what a what a what a terrible turn of events! Um, it was just the you know by every model the the huge swing in win probability the uh, uh, EPA on on that play it's just uh, pretty amazing. Um, but uh, awful way to end the season. Yeah, it, it really was. I thought it was interesting though that you know despite that they were still able to uh, have a couple of of chances. They um, you know. We talked about before with the first and ten from the seventeen. They actually were able to get there um, by a different model, but uh, than than ESPN's. But by the model I was looking at, they were able to get their win probability back up to uh, to twenty three point one percent. So the fact that they were able to still uh, have a decent chance decent chance of of winning um, was pretty impressive. So. Um, one of the models I was looking at had that the, the play had a negative 12.6 EPA. So, which can be expected because they were almost going to score and the other team scored seven. So the model had a, said that they had a 77% chance um, that the Ravens would be the next score with a touchdown right there. And only a 3% chance that the next score would be a touchdown by Cincinnati. So, Pretty, pretty crazy by by all metrics of uh, 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 that you can look at that play um, to see um, to see you know the the turn of events on that play. So um, it, it's really interesting to to hear about how um, you know how there are other big plays in the in the Super Bowl, but it's got to be one of the biggest in. Uh, in, in all of the playoffs, I would think, uh, combined. So I was really impressed by the Ravens that they were able to be in such in a such a strong position right at the goal line there 
having a 69% chance to win uh, in this game, I thought was, uh, was extremely impressive. So, um, you know, so it was a great spot to be in, but an un- unfortunate turn of events. So, all right. My last set of numbers, uh, 4.8 and 3.3. Uh, so comparing JK and Gus's performance in week 19, I know there was a, a little bit of, or week 19, the wild card games. Um, there's a little bit of discussion about that with, with some of JK's um, uh, comments. So I wanted to throw some, uh, put some numbers around this discussion. So 4.8 was the yards per rush for JK com- compared to 3.3 yards per rush uh, for Gus. So just on a yards per run basis, JK looked a lot stronger on his 13 runs compared to Gus's 12. Uh, however, if you dive into kind of the situations and some of the kind of quote unquote analytics numbers, um, you know, it kind of paints a little bit different picture. Uh, the rush yards over expected for JK was actually negative 0.2 compared to Gus of 0.3. Uh, the rush yards over per, over expected percentage, so the percentage of plays when the rush yards over expected was positive, was only 31% of the time for JK. So less than a third of his runs were over expected yards versus Gus, 50%. Um, EPA per play, JK averaged negative 0.06 compared to Gus, 0.11. Uh, a lot of the differences was the the kind of the defense that they faced, uh, likely or a lot of it driven by downs and distance when they were in. But JK faced eight plus defenders in the box on 15% of his rush attempts versus Gus was 42%. So he faced the heavy box a, a lot. Um, out of out of JK's 13 runs, 10 of them were on first and 10. So it was really a an interesting usage for, for his run is his run plays were really uh, primarily first and 10. And, uh, you know, Gus got the shorter yardage uh, kind of more obvious run situations. So um, which, you know, there are different types of backs and that kind of aligns with the, the, um, the kind of the roles, but I think basically to kind of summarize, I'm not sure it's as easy as just looking at the yards to decide who had a better performance in this game and who, you know, who was the stronger running back. Um, but I think it's a really difficult job to balance the, uh, the attempts for, for JK and Gus, you know, it's not like it's a one and a two, it's kind of like a one, a one B sort of deal. So um you know, I think that'll be interesting to see what happens in the off season with uh, with Gus has a little bit larger contract, and I think it'll be an interesting um, decision for the no, new offensive coordinator on how he kind of deploys these these two running backs. Yeah, that, those are fantastic numbers, by the way. Those I, I very surprising to me personally. I've, I've I had not seen them yet, and that's uh, they're great. Um, just shocking that it is so context based. Because uh, one one thing I've I you know, we've talked about in recent weeks about some of JK's runs is that he's still leaving a lot of run, yards on the field, particularly in level three. They've done a really good job in the first ten yards, maximizing those yards, kind of relative to, to to opportunities he had, but not so great after that. Um, and and this really 
Uh, I think this really nails it in terms of a lot of this because another good rushing day. Uh, but boy, if this was Gus's last uh, game in a Ravens uniform, been one of the most consistent running backs of all time. Uh, to all, in all four of his first four years that he actually played, uh, he had a, he had a yards per rush of 5.0 or higher, all between 5.0 and 5.3. Um, just who would have guessed this UDFA back out of Rutgers would be a guy who would who would come on and be the uh, uh, you know such a such a workhorse for the Ravens' offense? Yep, absolutely, and uh, almost always positive yards too, which is so mm-hmm. key for for this rush offense. So he's he's been such a a good fit. You know, that being said, I think it will be a tough decision on on him for this offseason. So, yeah, yep, $4.4 million cap savings there. So definitely a possibility. We've got one more number to, to kind of discuss, and we've been having some Lamar numbers recently. The the, the press conference was earlier today. Uh, this this uh, not sure exactly when this pod is going to post, but uh, talk was getting rid of Greg Roman, of course, which they didn't spend a lot of time on just a respectful goodbye as it should be. He's been a very effective offensive coordinator in Ravens history. And, and then on to Lamar Jackson's contract, which they got a lot of questions about uh, DaCosta and, and, and Harbaugh and, you know, asked about various things, most centrally, the confidence that they'd be able to get a deal done. So I know that the, there has been wagering out there, and we saw a number, I believe, while we were on BTN last week, while we were recording it, that I saw plus 500 was offered from somewhere, or it might have just been projected. It's easier to project odds when you don't have to back them up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you actually have to bet that it, that it means something. Um, but recently, I uh, last night, I believe, I checked it, and it was minus 200 for Jackson to be a Raven for 2023, which means two-thirds of the time he's there and one-third of the time he's he's not if it's a fair bet, which it isn't because there's some house juice in there. So what I wanted to do with you is handicap it a little more closely, you and me, uh, what what's your probability that that uh, that Jackson will be back for 2023? Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty pretty close to a 50 50. I think I would go a little bit less than 50. percent I'm going with a 40 percent chance that he is back. So okay, so and that so that means essentially they can't get a deal done. They trade him, uh, and right. and he's tag and tag and trade is the my. Yeah guess you know yeah. i don't think there's really another option <laughs> i guess yeah. i guess theoretically they they could keep him when you're under the tag i, I sincerely hope they do not do that approach mm-hmm. i don't think there's anything to gain from doing that i you know i don't think you learn anything i don't think you're going to improve the the discussion and the d- decisions long term i just think decide one way or another this offseason so they have done that at least once before maybe twice but they did it with Charles Suggs. To, to keep him under the tag twice before they were able then to sign him. So it's not unprecedented. It can happen. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I, I'm with you. I, I think. Yeah, but not his, for 45 million. That's the, right. that's a big difference. So. so 45 million plus all the draft capital difference between, between being this year as opposed to next year. So obviously yeah. that would be a, that would be a big difference. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little more optimistic about it. I would say 62 to 63% chance he's a Raven in 2023. Uh, which means they have they they doesn't mean a hundred percent of that they get a deal done, but certainly most of that they get a deal done. Um, you know, may, I maybe put it as 55, 56 percent that they get a deal done, the rest of it that he plays under the tag. 
Um, and, and I really hope that, uh, uh, that it is either he plays with a new contract or he's traded. I think those are the two that really make sense for the Ravens. And I think we can, uh, agree on that for sure. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's such a dynamic weapon. I, I would love for him to be back, but, uh, you know, I just think, um, a lot of events and, and, and things that happen this, this year that will, will, I guess it'll be an interesting few weeks, I guess, we'll, or like after a month or so, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Dan, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing this show with you all season, and this will be our last show of the year, but uh, tell folks where they can find you online and talk football with you. Yeah, absolutely. O- over on Twitter is the best place, uh, at DP Reese, and then the number eight. Uh, during the off season, I'll be, you know, talking about uh, a lot of the, you know, contracts and um, roster dynamics and all sorts of things like that, um, you know, and then stuff around the draft too. So, uh, you know, definitely reach out with any questions. Happy to discuss, uh, you know, anything uh, cap related, Raven, Ravens related, whatever. So. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, you may have heard it by now, but I'm doing a series called That One Play Now. Please uh, if you have a play in Ravens history that means something special to you, it could be for historic purposes, because you were there, you think it's the springboard to something in Ravens history, whatever kind of uh, you know attitude you have towards it, uh, whatever kind of direction you want to come at that play. Love to do a show with you. It's short content, 15 to 20 minutes, uh, just on that one particular play. So we'll do a little bit of history, a little bit of description of the play, a little bit of why it's important, a little bit of why it's important to you personally, and then we'll be done. So it's not a not a difficult barrier to entry and hopes and new people will get to the microphone and, uh, and enjoy this uh, as an opportunity. You can DM me on Twitter. They're always open. Dan, great doing this with you this season again. Yeah, my pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.